Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. In my recent studies, I have to tell you what uh, I am going to endeavor to share today by God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit is something that as I spend time in study, it's the only thing I can see. Regardless of what Bible story I tell, whether I'm reading our, our daily scriptures at night with my son or in my own devotionals, this story today, I see it in everything. I see it in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I see it with David and Goliath. I see it in the epistles. And I want to let you know that as we grow in our walk with Jesus, it's easy for things to get complicated. It's easy for uh, what we have to deal with in today's society. It gets complicated. But what I'd like to talk about today is just the simple gospel. The simple gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for meeting us today. We need you in our lives. We cannot do this alone. I can't speak up here alone, but I do make my tongue as the pen of a ready writer, and I submit myself to your leading. And I ask that you would anoint every ear to hear, and mine included, that we would be changed and not leave here the same way we came, but we would grow from one glory to another. And we thank you for it, Father. Again, thank you for honoring us with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. So the, the gospel is this. The simple gospel is this. Any street evangelist or preacher or uh, missionary will preach the same thing. There are three parts to the gospel. First, God is holy. God is holy. Second, man is fallen. Right? We acknowledge that. And thirdly, thank God we aren't left with number two. But point number three is Jesus is the Savior. Amen. That's why we're here today. <laughs> we call ourselves by his name. We are Christians. We, we are called by the name of Jesus. And so what we're going to do is just break down each of these three points. God is holy, man is fallen, and Jesus is the Savior. Our opening text is Isaiah chapter 6. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, or angels, and each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he, fly, he flew. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy. If you look to Merriam-Webster Dictionary and look for the word holy, it is defined as separate, sanctified, set apart, sacred, or unlike any other. And so when we say that God is holy, what we are saying is that he in himself is completely separate from all of creation. He is elevated to a class of his own. There is none like unto him. He is holy. He is sacred. He is flawless and he is untainted by whatever comes around him. He alone is holy. When we look at the Old and New Testaments, we can see that oftentimes there are glorious manifestations of God. And what I submit to you today is every glorious judgment, every merciful healing, 
Every manifestation of the Father, of the Son, or of the Holy Spirit is because God is holy. In the Old Testament, when Moses is going up the mountain and all the people are terrified because there's thunders and lightnings and clouds and billows of smoke and, and the, the ground is shaking before Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments. And the people say, now Moses, you're going up there by yourself, right? We're not all going up there. And Moses says, yes, I'll go up and I'll get the message and I'll come back down. They were terrified by the manifestation of the holy presence of a glorious God. And it was because he was holy that the ground shook. We have reverence when we pray because God is holy, even over our food. I don't know what your household is like, but ours looks like this. There's the kitchen and Michaela puts the dinner together and everything comes together last second and then boom, we sit down. Sometimes I'm still getting drinks poured. I make a really good homemade lemonade. If you're ever over, ask me, I'll make it for you. But at the last second, we're like, okay, let's pray. And so we do our best to stop before we eat. Why? Because God is holy. At the supper table, God is holy. Again, the judgments of the Old and New Testament. We know of Ananias and Sapphira, they fell down dead. In the New Testament, born-again, spirit-filled believers fell down dead. Why? Because God is holy and his word is holy. The angels cry it out day and night. We saw it in Isaiah. Let's go to Re Revelation chapter 4. God is holy. He is completely set apart. On his own. In verse 5, it says, And of the throne proceeding, proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes behind and before. And the first beast was of, like that of a lion, and the second was like a calf, and the third was like the face of a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts, each of them had six wings, so it's the same ones that, I, that uh, Isaiah saw had six wings about them, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Holy. Now, there's two different explanations that I've seen as far as this holy, holy, holy. The first in your notes you see, is that of emphasis. See, when the, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New Testament was written in, in Greek, there was no punctuation. There was no bold or italicized. There were no emojis to help express the emotion behind what was being written. And so to emphasize a word or a phrase, what they would do is they, they would write the word twice. So when you read in the Gospels that Jesus himself says, verily, verily, he didn't say it in a monotone voice in a British accent like all the movies you've seen. He didn't say, verily, verily, I tell you this day that unless a man be born again. He didn't say it like that. First of all, it was Arabic, right? That was the language he spoke. That was common to that tongue at that time. But what, the reason it was written twice, he didn't say verily twice. It's a way of emphasizing. We would underline it, put it in italicized, and put an exclamation mark at the end. When he said, verily, verily, you must be born again, he actually said, truth, verily, a man must be born again. Right? So we understand that. That's emphasis. It's exclamation. 
So possibly the writer of Isaiah, the writer of, um, of Revelation, the Apostle John, he's emphasizing holy. If it's written twice, it's emphasized. If it's written thrice, what does that mean? Holy. The second explanation I've seen, and they both kind of go hand in hand. The second is that these four beasts are covered in eyes. They have eyeballs everywhere. The front of them, the back of them on their wings. And their job day and night is to sit before the very holy of holies in the presence of the Father himself. Covered with eyes to witness the character of God. To witness the power of God. To witness the holiness of God. And the way I've heard it explained is they have all these eyes because it takes that many for them to perceive the fresh revelation that God gives them moment by moment. So one holy is, you are the healer. The next holy, you are the redeemer. The next holy is, you are the creator. Holy, holy. These, cher- these seraphim are overwhelmed and all they can say at each of these revelations, poof, another one explodes in their face, poof, another revelation of who the Father is. Holy, holy, holy for eternity past until eternity future. Holy, this is the God that we serve. He, he is holy. The Father is holy. Let's break down the three, the Trinity. The Father is holy. Psalm 96 verse 9. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. In the beauty of what? Of holiness. Fear before him, all the earth. Tremble before his presence. Why? Because the Father is holy. When we get a revelation of the holiness of God, it makes his awareness of us all the more merciful. In Psalm 139, I wanted to read the whole chapter, but we'll shorten it here. Verses 1 through 6. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my down-sitting my uprising, you understand my thoughts from afar. You encompass me in my path, in my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You have beset me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge, what knowledge? That the holy God is intimately acquainted with us, each and every one of us. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain unto it. Later, later on in the same chapter, verses 17 and 18. How precious also are your thoughts unto, toward me, O God. How great is the sum of them, if I should count them. They are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. When we understand the holiness of the Father, we understand his mercies towards us. The Father is holy. Jesus is holy. In Hebrews 7, verse 26, we can define that Jesus is holy. For such a high priest became us, who is holy and harmless and undefiled. He is what? Separate from sinners. He is made higher than the heavens. Jesus is holy. Here is the God-man made flesh. We celebrate every Christmas. This baby in a manger. Holy God made flesh in front of us. He walked around for 33 years manifesting the Father's love 
Jesus was holy then. Because he was holy, his sacrifice was made acceptable. And this sacrifice, because he is holy, it makes the depths of his sacrifice all the more gracious. See, we're talking about today the simple gospel, and we must include all three parts of the gospel, or there is no gospel. The Holy Spirit is holy. He is the Holy Spirit. And this makes the longevity of his patient with us all the more enduring. We don't know how many days the Father walked the earth with Adam and Eve. We don't know if it was a day or two before they sinned, if it was weeks or months. We don't really have that information. But it was brief. Jesus, we know, walked the earth. He came down a few times as the Lord of hosts in the Old Testament. And he walked the earth among men for 33 years, which is a very patient thing to do. The Holy Spirit, on the other hand, was given on the day of Pentecost and for nearly 2,000 years has made his home on the earth among men. And so I submit to you that his holiness makes the longevity of his patience with mankind all the more enduring. I don't know about you, but when I mess up, I know it's the Holy Spirit that's tugging at my heart, pulling me. Chris, Chris, stop. Chris, close your mouth. Close your mouth. Stop talking. Right? Maybe it's just me. <laughs> He's patient with us. But he is the holy God. He is the one that manifested himself in the, the manifestation of Jesus being raised from the dead. It was the Holy Spirit that went to the depths of the lowest pit and raised him up. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is holy. In modern Christianity, it is so easy. It is so easy. I think I'm guilty of it too. It's easy for us to water down the holiness of God almost ignoring it, instead emphasizing the grace of the cross. We're going to get to that. That's part three. Stay with me. We're in part one. We cannot ignore the holiness of God. The cross never changed the holiness of God. The cross never undid or made not the holiness of God. We cannot begin to fathom the generosity of the grace of God that was given to us in the cross of Jesus until we first recognize the holiness of God. I'm going to give you some bold statements today. There's three of them. The first one dealing with God is holy. The first bold statement is, if God is not holy, then there is no gospel. If God is not holy, then there is no gospel. Part two, man has fallen. It's easy for us to say that. If you're unsure, put on the news for two and a half minutes and you'll know that man has fallen. Watch a commercial. You'll know that man has fallen. Spend any time at the mall or at Walmart, Target. You'll know that man has fallen. But let's look at the creation of man to understand what that means. We know that we're not at working at our best. We're not at our highest efficiency, our, our best, you know, if you buy a new car, it's supposed to work great. What is the first thousand miles after the engine's broken in, right? And then it's at its working best. I bought a car once, and it was my first car. I was so excited. I was on my way to Rama. My dad said, okay, let's wax it and clean it and get it looking good. So we bring it home. We wash it. It was like 40 degrees outside, but I was still going to wash my new car. I go out, and I'm buffing it. And my dad said, son, I was 21 at the time, or 20. 
He said, son, I'm going to tell you the same thing my father told me when I got my first car. This is the best it's ever going to look. <laughs> and he was right, because five months later, I totaled it. <laughs> uh, man is not operating at his peak efficiency. Let's look at creation. If God is holy, and we understand that God made man in his image and in his likeness, then we know that man was made holy. Think about that. Selah. If God is holy and man was made originally in his likeness and in his image, then man was created holy. Knowing that, that that is our origin, that is our standard level, then the potency, the power of the rebellion in Eden is that a creation that was fully aware of the character and the nature of God, as well as the conditions for both living and dying, amen, they knew, they willfully chose to serve instead the God of self rather than the God of creation. This is the fall of mankind. This is the, na the nature that we were born with and that we were born into. If you ignore the holiness of God, then there is no gospel. If you ignore the fallen nature of man, then there is no gospel. Where God had the right to immediately judge Adam and Eve, get this, he told them, the day that you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. Judgment could have happened that very moment, and where would we be? But instead, the Father in his great love for us, his great love for us, he saw us in Adam and Eve, you understand. Later on, when Noah and the flood, he saw us in Noah and his family. He chose instead to show the way of the Savior. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 9. This is talking about the Old Testament priests versus the New Testament priest, who is Jesus, of course. And almost all things which are by the law purged with blood and without the shedding of blood is no remission of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. This same God in his goodness and in his mercies uh, 1 Corinthians says he, he is the life-giving spirit. That is his nature. He walks around and where he, his, he steps, there is life. You can see that in the life of Jesus, right? If someone was missing an eye, he just made some mud, spit in it. There's your eyes. He is the life-giving spirit. The same God that created the cosmos, gave life to the cosmos, the solar system, the earth, the trees, the shrubs, the berry, the berry bushes and that same God was then forced to slaughter an animal. The very first manifestation or, or type of Jesus, who is our Savior, is in Genesis chapter 3. He just finished proclaiming the curse on the serpent, on Adam and on Eve. And then he said, it says here in, in verse 21 of Genesis 3, Unto Adam also and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them? It's one little verse. Now I'm going to extrapolate on that, and I, this, I can't be dogmatic. This is how I see it. And I'm going to say that up front. This is how I see it. It's not explicit in Scripture, but I think it's implied here. 
Here is God showing Adam and Eve. This is the garden. Your job is to name the animals. They go around, name all the animals. They sin. They try to cover themselves with fig leaves. And the father says, that's not, that's not going to cut it. Why? Because Hebrews 9, we find out later, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so this life-giving spirit, the father is standing there in Eden with Adam and Eve who are covered in fig leaves. And he goes over to Fluffy. Now, I don't know if Fluffy was a ram or a, a lamb or if he was a calf. But he goes over to Fluffy and I believe in front of Adam and Eve, he takes Fluffy. Now they named Fluffy. They know Fluffy. They've been walking around and hanging out with Fluffy. And God shows them the severity of the fall of man. It says he made coats of skin. How did he make coats of skin? He killed Fluffy. He gutted Fluffy. He cleaned the skins of Fluffy and then sewed them together in a tunic. This is a very serious situation. God is showing Adam and Eve, you can't do it. Trees that you could have eaten fruit of, it's not going to cut it now. There must be a sacrifice. There must be a shedding of blood. We often say, kind of off the cuff, I'm only human. You know, or oh, don't worry about it, you're only human. No, you were made in the image of a holy God. But wicked rebellion separated you from that standard. And becoming a fallen being, a fallen being you and myself and every man and woman and child on the face of the planet is destined for destruction. That is our end. Now remember, I haven't gotten to part three. If you're with me, don't change. Stay on YouTube. Stay on Roku, Facebook. There is part three, but we're emphasizing part two, man has fallen. Amen. I want to tell you, um, I was off at training. I don't remember which school I was at, but I went to visit my family. And uh, my cousin, who was in primary school at the time, second, third grade, um, it must have been about Easter because he was excited they had just gotten some Jesus film. And so he's really excited. He's like, Chris, you know, he knows that I'm going to be a minister. And uh, he says, Chris, we have this Jesus film. I was like, oh, that's great. We should watch it this weekend while I'm visiting. And he goes on and on about this, this Jesus film. And I realize that to him, this DVD they got was like a relic. You know what I mean by, like, by that? It, it was something to him that qualified him for God's goodness. It qualified him because he was watching the story of Jesus to walk in God's mercies or, you know, to make heaven or whatever. To him, this movie was a relic. And the Lord showed me that. And I, and I was like, oh, we got to do something about this. And so here he is, I don't know, eight or nine years old. And I said, well, let me tell you the story of Jesus. He says, okay. So we sit down. I said, and I basically went through this. God is holy. He is flawless. He is completely separate from all creation. He is untouched by sin. He doesn't comprehend it. It's beyond him. And the very first time that you lied to your mom or you stole a cookie when you weren't supposed to, that sin entered into your heart and disqualified you from heaven. And now because of that, you, you and me, and I named a matriarch of our family who everybody thinks is quite holy and she's an amazing woman of God. I, I named her and I said, we're all going to burn in hell for all eternity because of the first time we lied. And <laughs> his eyes got big. I, of course, moved on to part three. But that is the seriousness of our fallen state. 
man has fallen and there's nothing we can do about it. There is nothing we can do about it. We can come to church every day. It's not going to help. First Corinthians 13 says you can give everything you have to the poor. But if you don't have the manifest agape love, which only comes in the born again human spirit, you gain nothing. You have nothing. You are nothing. Again, here's my second power statement. Remember, the first one is, if God is not holy, then there is no gospel. The second one is, if man is not fallen, then there is no gospel. There is a movement in our culture. It's been in um, Europe for some time, but in the last 10 years or so, it's really exploded. It's been at work since the 50s and 60s, but you guys can tell it's, it, it's what's called the progressive movement. And the ideal behind it is moral relative moral relativity that there is no absolute moral truth that what i think is right and wrong is different from you, yours and we can all get along and michaela and i are very deliberate when our kids are watching shows cartoons you know oh yay there's this new cartoon on such and such channel and you know we'll watch the first episode and we're like nope has a progressive message there is no right or wrong there's no the kids will do something you know the kids in the cartoon will do something naughty and there's no there's no uh consequence or more deliberate, hey, some people can live like this, some people can live like that. It's all the same. But that's not the case. Because if man is not sinful, if there is no right and wrong, then there is no gospel. And you can see the, the, the prog progression. If you don't believe that God is holy, then the state of man isn't that big a deal. Even if you believe God is holy, but you don't think that the state of man is that big a deal, then who cares about part three? And that's the goal of the progressive movement. If they can convince you that God is not holy, oh, well, you know, look at everything that's happening. He can't be good because, of course, God is in control, which he isn't, by the way. He gave it to Adam. It's Adam's lease. If you don't believe that man has fallen and understand the tragedy of our state, then there is no gospel. Part three, Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. When we were lost, Jesus volunteered. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Wherefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you wouldest not, but a body you have prepared for me. Jesus volunteered, I will go. Father, I will go. We love them. They are ours, and I will redeem them. See, the power of his resurrection, since man cannot redeem himself and is incapable of working himself out of the sin state, the power of his resurrection is that he had to do it for us. When the father was cutting the covenant with, with Abram, who became Abraham, Abraham built the altar and got everything ready, and then he fell asleep. And then God did the work. It was his way of saying, this is the covenant that I am cutting. I am supplying the blood. You can't do anything about it. This isn't anything you can work. Men have a hard time with that. Ask me how I know. We like to get stuff done. We're putting a fence up right now at our house. And I just want to get it done. I just want to get it done. And accepting the limitations of time or effort or equipment, it's frustrating to men. 
Jesus made the way. When he was on the cross and he said it is finished, his faithfulness on the earth, that was the end of his free will here in this domain. He said it is finished and he breathed out his last and he was escorted immediately to the lowest pit where he suffered for the sin of all mankind for all time. The power of that is that God is holy, that man is fallen, and that Jesus is the Savior. He completed the work on the cross. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, we know this well, that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with the heart man believes unto what? Righteousness, holiness, sanctification, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. John 3.3, 3, here's the verily, verily, which now you will no longer read in a monotone British accent, correct? You will say, verily, I say unto you that except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is the power of that resurrection. This is the power of that salvation. Ephesians 1.19, such an awesome chapter. Read it every day. And what is, this is the Apostle Paul praying for the churches. And what is the exceeding greatness of what? Of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power. It goes on to say which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That raising from the dead was God's way of saying, and by the way, because we know God is holy, the fall of man was not the fall in submission to the devil. He became the God of this world, but God did not redeem us from the devil. He didn't. The blood of Jesus was not shed to redeem us from the devil. It was to redeem us from the judgment of God. So here he is. He's the judge. He's the executioner. He's the prosecutor. And now he's the defense. And Jesus was the sacrifice. In John 14, 6, Jesus said unto them, unto him, excuse me, I am the way and the truth and the life and no man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the Savior. And if Jesus, here's the power statement number three, are you ready? God is holy and if he is not holy, there is no gospel. Man has fallen and if we are not sinful, then there is no gospel. Power statement number three, if Jesus' sacrifice did not perfectly complete redemption once and for all, then there is no gospel. I've said this before, that um, something that, there, there's this image, we were in 11th grade world cultures learning about, I want to say it was either Hindus or Muslims. But there was a tradition, a coming of age tradition uh, for the men, that when they came to a certain age as teenagers, they would prove themselves by beating their sin out of their body. And so they would get a club or a whip with sharp edges and they would sit there and just go like this and hit their back. And so there's this image of me, 17-year-old me, sitting in high school watching these bloody backs and we're all looking around the room like, what are these people doing? And it's just this horrible image of people thinking that by beating themselves, they can remove their own sin. But I submit this to you. Christians do it emotionally and spiritually every day. You can be a born-again even spirit-filled Christian, and yet something you did three weeks ago is haunting you, and you are just beating yourself for what you did. And it's just as, I mean, sorry, it's just as silly because there's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do to fix it. 
but Jesus. But Jesus. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm sorry, let's, let's follow up on that before we go to Hebrews. We beat ourselves, but there's an answer to that. It's called 1 John 1, 9. That if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and he is just to cleanse us, to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful in his covenant to us. He is just as, his, as a holy God. He can't just forgive us. He can't just forgive us. But as we plead the blood of Jesus, he is equipped, he is faithful, and he is just to forgive us. All right, now we're ready for Hebrews 10. Again, this is comparing our new high priest to the high priest of the Old Testament. Above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offering and offering for sin you wouldest not, neither had pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said, lo, I come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By the which will, by the which will, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every high priest stands daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away the sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. It's done. He's done working. Now he ever lives to make intercession for us, but he's done with part three. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made a footstool for by one offering, he has perfected, say perfected. That means complete, nothing missing. He has perfected forever them which are sanctified. That's you and me. He did it perfectly. God is holy, man is fallen, but Jesus is the savior. He didn't leave anything out. He didn't quit in the pit. He stayed until it was done. Whereof the Holy Ghost is also witness to us that after that he said, he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them in those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. And their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Now where the, the remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Don't beat yourself up. That's not an offering for sin. Guilt tripping yourself or guilt tripping your cousin or your spouse or your kids. That's not an offering for sin. Jesus did it. Now where the remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into what? <laughs> the holiest. We're redeemed back to that holy place. By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which had consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. When you're dealing with that guilt trip, I'm just, I'm, it's on me today. Let's, let's deal with this. When you're dealing with that condemnation that's trying to work and control you and keep you back from the goodness of God, you confess what the word says right here. What is this? Verse 22. Let us draw near. Let us draw near. 
with a, a heart full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. You can say, self, soul, you listen to me. I've confessed that before the Father. He says I'm redeemed, and I am redeemed back to the holiest. So now I cast down these imaginations and every high thing that's trying to exalt itself against the knowledge of God, and I bring you into captivity to, to the obedience of Christ. In Jesus' name. And you walk free in that. Let that be liberty for you. Ask me how I know. Having our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But exhorting one another. Encouraging the holiness of God to come out in one another. Encouraging the goodness and the mercies of God to come out in one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking for the judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. This is a New Testament writing. We think it's Paul, we don't know to a New Testament church, born again and spirit-filled. And yet they're saying to look for the fiery, the judgment and the fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Excuse me. Why is he saying that? Because part one was never done away with. God is still holy. God is still holy. See, we read these as, you know, whatever we're called, Pentecostals or word of faith people and it's like well you know that doesn't that doesn't really apply I'm doing this because that's how I do it kind of emotionally on the inside when I when I read it but looking at the full gospel looking at the simple gospel that God is holy we can understand he that despised Moses law died under mercy under the under two or three witnesses of how much sore punishment suppose you shall be thought worthy he who has trodden underfoot the son of God listen to this and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified a what? Unholy thing. And has done despite to the spirit of grace. All of the benefits of the new covenant, and thank God we are in the new covenant. Thank God we have access to the Father. All of the benefits of the new covenant are made the more precious when you contrast the holiness of God with the fallen state of man and then see, in despite of it, Jesus is the Savior. Whether you are looking for forgiveness and redemption, if you are looking for healing or peace or prosperity, he is your healer. By his stripes you were healed. He is the Lord, your, your Prince of Peace. His peace he left with us, not as the world gives, that he give unto us his peace, so that our hearts wouldn't be troubled and we wouldn't be afraid. He said that our, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus access to the Father that you can, we just read it, you can approach with a conscience that is sprinkled from an evil conscience. If you need protection, he's given his angels charge over you. That a thousand might fall by your side or ten thousand by your right hand, but it won't come near you because you dwell in the secret place. And you have access to the secret place because of Jesus. If you don't know what your purpose is, you have access to that wisdom. James says that if you ask, he gives liberally to all those that would ask. And you have that because of Jesus. I have that because of Jesus. 
the ministry of reconciliation that we have as believers, this ministry of reconciliation to go into the lost world and to, and to bring those into saving grace, it is the most honorable endowment that anybody can have. The, this ministry of reconciliation, listen, the angels can't do it. The angels can't preach salvation to the lost. The saints of old can't do it. I'm sure you had a wonderful great-grandma and she probably prayed for your whole family. You're probably here today loving Jesus because of your prayer, the prayers of your great-grandma. But she's in heaven enjoying the rewards of, of her works and she can't preach Jesus to you. She, she can't do it. The saints of old can't do it. This gospel has been entrusted to us. The infilling of the Holy Spirit for intimacy with the Father, for victorious living on the earth, and for effective witness and ministry among the lost, the infilling of the, the third person of the Holy God lives in us, dwells in us, leads us and guides us into all truth, gives us the knowledge of witty inventions. It is so generous for him to be with us and in us. Looking again at verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 10, this is what he's talking about. This is the covenant that I will make with them in those days, which is talking about these days, by the way, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds I will write them. If you go get an EKG, if you go get an echocardiogram or a sonogram of your heart, if you get an MRI or a CAT scan, I guarantee you they will not see the Ten Commandments Plus the two commandments of Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are not written on your heart. He is not talking about a physical inscription. He is talking about the third person of deity living on the inside of us, guiding us into all truth and showing us things to come. No longer do we have to study and cram and memorize the Pentateuch like they did. We don't have to memorize the first books, five books of the Bible, which you did by the time you were 10 or 11 years old. Not that we shouldn't study the word. Timothy, Paul said to Timothy, study and show yourself approved. But we are led by the third person of the Godhead. So, what do we do now? We know the gospel. You guys knew the gospel before you came in today, right? There's, it's hard to see, hear of anybody that doesn't know the gospel around here. They're, they're there though. But do they really know it? And so where are we here today? What do we do? First, let's recognize God is holy. Because without that foundation of the gospel, there is no gospel. First Peter chapter 1. The apostle Peter says, But as of which he has called you is holy, so be you also holy in all manner of conversation or all in everything that you do in your, your conversation of life, your way of living. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. I'm just going to throw some things out. These are things that the Lord spoke to me. I might be revealing a little bit about myself, but that's okay. And I just submit it to you. Anything that the Holy Spirit ministers to your heart, take it. Run with it. Be holy in how you spend your time. Do you really need to binge watch the seventh episode today that you've seen of that show? I'm telling you, I'm talking to myself. Or do you watch one show, enjoy it? And then go spend time with your family or go spend time with Jesus. For God is holy. In the relationships that you invest in, how are you investing in the people around you? 
in your spouse, your kids, grandkids, your cousins, your siblings. God is holy. Let him be holy in you. In the thoughts that you sow, I had a, a teacher that submitted this to me. You can write these down. You sow a thought, you reap a word. You sow a word, you reap an action. You sow an action, you reap a habit. You sow a habit and you reap a destiny. It all starts up here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we are given the instructions, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of the anointed one, Christ. In the words that you speak, for God is holy. In how you behave towards others in thought, in word, and deed. In what you spend your money on, for God is holy. In how you see, excuse me, how you use the things that you have, for God is holy. Men, how are you using your tablets and iPhones? Women, how are you using your telephone? God is holy. And this is not a manifestation of our works. Uh-uh, we've been saved by grace. People are depending on us to show them the holiness, the goodness of God. And in how you give, for the tithe is holy. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30 says, In all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, it is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. The tithe is holy. And so let's all stand together before the Lord. I have some challenges to place before us today. Be holy. Be holy. First of all, if you're not, you must be born again. You cannot be holy without being born again. Without Jesus redeeming you by his blood, by you accepting the fullness. Now, he already did it. We already read. He did it. He took that sacrifice and presented it to the holiest place of all, whereby we can walk in with the adoption and say, Abba, Father. That's ours. But you must be born again. So if you're viewing by live streaming, if you're here today, let's go through this and I'm going to hit my next three challenges afterwards. Let's deal with this first. If you believe that God is holy, that man has fallen, and that Jesus is the Savior, that he paid the fullness of the penalty for your redemption, for all mankind, every man, woman, and child who's ever lived and ever will live, and you want to surrender your life to that, dying to self forever and taking upon yourself the cross of Jesus and also the power of his resurrection, then just pray this prayer with me if you're viewing by live streaming, if you're in the room. Just say, Holy Father, I come before you just as I am. And I believe that Jesus redeemed me, made the way by his precious blood for me to receive forgiveness. And so I confess to you that I am a sinner, but now I receive by grace through this faith, salvation. I called upon the name of the Lord and you said that I am your child. In Jesus' name, amen. And if that's true and you're watching online, please call us, contact us. We'd like to get with you, provide you some materials to grow. If you're in the room with us, talk to an usher on the way out. Talk to one of our prayer partners. Prayer partners, if you wouldn't mind coming up, we're gonna move on with challenge number two. Number two, after you're saved, you must be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
Spend time in the words. Spend time listening to messages. Hey, maybe don't listen to music in the car. Put a pop, pop a message in. You guys have phones. You know you can play. If you can play uh, Pandora on your phone, you can play some good Christian messages. Words that will feed your faith and change you. Secondly, be transformed. Third, be filled. If you have not been filled with the Spirit of, of the Lord, with the evidence of praying in tongues and speaking in tongues, then I encourage you right now, come on up. Our prayer partners are available. This is the dunamis miracle working power of God made available to every man, woman, and child on the face of the planet. I, I had the benefit of sitting in this church. I was right over there. I came up and I was filled with the Spirit at a young age. And I know it has completely changed the way I live my life. It has set me up for success. Just little tweaks here and there. One time I was riding my motorcycle on my way home from church after a work shift. And uh, the Spirit of God said, move over. On my motorcycle, I said no, because according to my motorcycle safety, you're always supposed to be in this particular part of the lane. He said, move over. I said, no. You're, he said, Chris, move over. I said, yes, sir. I moved over and around a blind corner came a pickup truck halfway in my lane. If I had been where I was going to be, I would not be here today. We were each going 45 miles an hour. Little things like that. Be filled. Be being filled. After you are filled, what we experienced today at the beginning of service, I don't know about you, but I am filled. That was precious. Do that at home. Do that at home with your family. Do that at home with your spouse, with your kids. You can do that. Finally, part number four, my challenge in being holy is be an evangelist. There are people out there that need you. You might be out at a restaurant sitting down, socially distanced, of course, and God asks you to go break protocol and share Jesus with them. The world needs part three. They need him. You needed him and I needed him and I am so thankful that we had the chance to accept him.